Mr. Browning, my daughter's health has been my main concern for many years. You will permit me to remind you that I am much better informed on the subject than an outsider. I shall carry you to your room. Oh, no, Papa. I don't need you, really. Surely, Mr. Mr. Barrett. I must say goodbye. Thank you for calling. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture, even if it's painful. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Dahl. And this week, we are continuing the 1934 nominees with the enormous year, Frederick March and Charles Lofton, The Barretts of Wimpole Street, a movie that is ostensibly about the life of Elizabeth Barrett Browning and her courtship with Robert Browning. Yeah, and it's... Whoo! It is painful yeah i kept thinking of like you know all those parts in like the uh, american crime story oj season or stuff like that where you get to this bit where like the show or the movie knows that you know about this bit of history and so it goes like let's kind of do this fun other thing because like we gotta deal with the white ford bronco but like we're gonna like show you baby Kardashians instead because you you already know this part. This movie is like that if you didn't know any of the fucking parts. <laughs> like, it is just... I'm not sure I understand. This movie believes that you know everything about the courtship between Robert Browning and Elizabeth Barrett Browning and, like, have already internalized all of that. And so it can kind of do whatever and really explore side characters and kind of get into it and not tell you at all what's happening with anybody ever yeah it does do that yeah it it also is two hours of watching a woman being tortured by various men yeah it was absolutely agonizing the first time that i tried watching this i got about halfway through and i realized like oh i've worked 18 hours it's 11 o'clock at night i have no idea what's going on and it seems like it's just charles lofton him just abusing her and that's that can't be this movie right so i'm just tired i'm gonna go to bed and watch it tomorrow and then I watched it last night, and like, no, it, the first half of the movie is just Charles Lofton abusing Norma Cher. Yeah, and like, the thing is that, from what I can tell from reading up on the actual history so that I could understand what the hell is happening in this movie, this movie does a, like, real disservice to Robert Browning. And I would say also to Edward Barrett. <laughs> I mean, sure, but he did, I mean, like... It goes into some stuff that I'm sure we'll get into eventually that is maybe not fully, fully supported by history. But he did seem like he was historically a fucking piece of work. And so I kind of don't care if the movie is a jerk to him in a specifically 1930s kind of way. But with Robert Browning, the actual letters between Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning were, like, very romantic and were clearly, like, both of them were interested in each other before they ever met. And in this, he just has this one-sided, I have read your prose and so I know we're meant to be together. And you love me. I know you love me. Tell me you love me thing that's like, whoa, 
The second half of this movie, by the way, is Robert Browning abusing Elizabeth Barrett. Yeah. And like, it's really, it's, it sucks. It's also totally unnecessary. Like, I think the movie wants it to be this, like, poet's soul thing, where they have this unspoken connection that only he can read into her work. But, like, somebody thought they had an unspoken connection with Jodie Foster and shot a president once. Don't (laughs) fucking go that far with your unspoken connection you read into a woman's work. And also it's, I mean, like you were saying, it's totally unnecessary because the letters between them on which we have to assume that this is based because no one involved ever wrote an autobiography. She is just as romantically interested in him as he is with her. Yeah. So him coming and spending an hour of this movie manipulating her and it's basically like her father is totally domineering and threatening and real, real fucked up. Uh, which we will get to. And then Robert Browning comes in and is essentially like, no, you love me. And she's like, no, but I'm sick and I don't want to be romantically involved with anyone. And he's like, nope, I refuse to believe that. And essentially presents himself as another totally manipulative, controlling man that is at least an out from her totally manipulative, controlling father, but it's out of the frying pan and into the fire. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe, like, out of the fire and into the frying pan, but, like, still not a great option. (laughs) Yeah. I guess, like, the plot, though weirdly the summary is super-duper long, it's because it goes into every single incident in the movie, So the plot is actually very, very short. Elizabeth Barrett is sick with um, being a Victorian woman and has to lie on a chaise lounge and pet her dog all day, every day. (laughs) Her father is an emotionally manipulative asshole who's controlling to her and her, I want to say two sisters, and I want to say 837 brothers. There were actually 12 of them historically, but yes, it does feel like 837 brothers. And they all kind of, only when he is gone can they enjoy life in any way. The sisters have sort of, it's sisters, right? Maybe it's just Mm -hmm. one? I don't, whatever. It really seems like there's only the one sister and then there's the cousin who is like, well, well, we'll get into that too, but there's some very out-of-place humor in this movie that somehow makes the surrounding darkness even darker. Yeah. Anyway, the doctors say she can basically recover if only she has something to live for, which is one of those things doctors say, for sure, in real life. And in fact, a doctor in this movie says... Oh yeah, no, that's what I'm saying, is that that's what the doctor... Yeah. But she is just like, hey, life sucks, my dad sucks, I'm just gonna keep lying on the chaise lounge... Until Robert Browning shows up, says a shit ton of really creepy stuff. Frederick March does his best and manages to make, I'm gonna say, a third of the really creepy shit kind of charming. But, like, just the whole thing is like, whoa, dude, you're at, like, an 11 and I need you at a nod in this room. (laughs) And she is so excited by somebody... I guess just emotionally manipulating her for positive ends for herself, that she makes a 
relatively swift recovery and can, like, walk around again to see him. Her father grows increasingly irritated that she isn't completely dependent on him anymore. Robert Browning grows increasingly irritated that she doesn't just run away with him to Italy, which was his plan. And damn it, why does she keep making this so hard by, like, having a dad and shit? And she eventually... After a really, really creepy scene with the father, runs away to marry Robert Browning, and that's the end of the movie. Yes. Should we get into the really creepy scene? Because I feel like the whole movie revolves around it. Like, it is totally the Oscar bait scene of the film. Yeah, yeah. It's at the end, but everything is leading up to it. So yeah, let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. And then um, after we finish recording, I'm going to go shower in bleach. Right. So the dad throughout the whole movie is like super duper like talking about how much he loves Elizabeth, who he calls Ba inexplicably. Everyone inexplicably calls her Ba. That was actually her nickname. That's it's so weird, though. I would love an explanation of any kind. This is kind that's kind of the thing I mean about the just like, remember how everyone called her Ba? No, I definitely don't. I mean, I guess like. Elizabeth to Elizabeth to like Ba. I, I I I have no idea. I people get nicknames that end up like coming out of evolutions of nicknames, but yeah, I don't. Sure. I mean, for instance, like my husband and I call each other Chuck, which makes no sense because my name is Susan and his is Sean, but it comes out of us making a joke about how Shakespeare always used sweet Chuck in his plays and how that doesn't show up anywhere else. And it's like, that definitely was not just like a pet name that people in Elizabethan England used. He was just trying to make that happen. (laughs) Yeah, he was trying to make fetch happen and it didn't catch on. Yeah. And so we like jokingly started calling each other Sweet Chuck, and now it's just Chuck. Sure, but what I'm saying is like, there's a story there, right? You don't just start calling each other Chuck in public and go like, I'm sure they'll get it. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like, just give me a line or two about how she got the nickname Ba. Because she's a lamb. (laughs) But he spends the whole movie talking about how like, all these other, like, kids are pieces of shit you're the only one i care about at all and you're like why except that like i guess you can control her best and you're creepy asshole and like that is part of it but the other part of it is he just directly states she's the only child actually born of love of like 12 kids And his wife hated him for most of his marriage. And he just raped her anyway for 11 more kids. They never use the word rape, but it's, it it is very obvious what he's saying. Yeah. Elizabeth is rightly horrified. He doubles down on like, he knows what right and wrong is and his wife didn't and no one seems to. And he's just got to like force his will on the world. And then really explicitly... (laughs) Um, k- kind of tries to make out with her. Yep. And it is fucking awful. And that, that actually was yeah. the point in the movie where I went, oh my god, why have I just invested two hours of my life in watching a woman be tortured? And like, I think if it were framed a little bit differently or done a little bit sooner in the narrative, and there were a little more suspense in her like escape then I would be more into, like, 
oh, this is about her triumph over this overbearing father, which is what I think the movie wants to be about. But, like, that comes so late in the movie. It's literally the next to last scene. This was a major problem that I had with the book The Awakening. Did you ever read that? We had to read it in high school. No, wasn't on our reading list. So it's essentially framed as this, like, great piece of early feminist literature where a woman gets married to some guy that she, like, I guess likes okay or whatever, but she marries the guy she's expected to marry, and then she has an affair, And then the way that she frees herself from the strictures of Victorian mores is she walks into the sea. And it really pissed me off. And to the credit of all of my classmates in high school, really pissed all of them off as well. Where we were like, how is this about a woman getting her freedom? Because her quote unquote freedom is through sex with another man and then suicide. And like, It doesn't feel like an earned victory over her father's control because she just literally frees herself, and I'm using finger quotes, by marrying a dude who also seems to be totally fucking controlling. Yeah. There's also this weird thing where, like, secondary characters only sometimes have internal lives. Yes. I think the movie, like, fills out its runtime with, like, exploring all these side characters, but it really only rarely explores them. And, like, it's... uh, To me, the biggest one is that, like, you never get the sense that the maid likes her all that much throughout the whole movie. And then... Suddenly, Elizabeth, after the terrifying scene with the dad, is like, can you keep a secret? And the maid is like, oh, yes, Ba, I would do anything for you. What do you need? Let's fucking rob a bank. And like... (laughs) Now, that is the movie I want to see. It's the movie (laughs) where Elizabeth Barrett and her maid just full on rob a bank. That would be amazing. But like, similarly, the sisters keep having these plot developments and then going back on them. The weirdest one of those is that, like, the sort of spitfire daughter who really hates the dad is, like, when Elizabeth runs away, she leaves notes for everyone, and everyone's like, who's gonna give the note to dad? And she's like, oh man, let me do it. And then hands it to him, and before he can even read it, goes, oh, don't be mad at her. I thought I hated you, but I love you. I pity you. And it's like, what? The What the fuck are, what, what is anyone in this movie? The sister, by the way, Henrietta, is Maureen O'Sullivan, who was Dot Wynant in The Thin Man. Oh. She is not in as many of the movies nominated for Best Picture in 1934 as Claudette Colbert, but she's only in one less. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> but, like, there's just this constant parade of secondary characters who seem to get and lose characteristics because the movie doesn't actually care about any of them. They're just there to fill time. I actually cared about Henrietta until that moment. And actually, she does get the last word in against Edward. Edward is like, oh, well, she ran away. Then we have to kill her dog. And Henrietta is like, oh, she took the dog with her. 
And then in my mind, like, flips double birds and, like, zooms off on a skateboard. But that's not really what happened. No. The dog, <laughs> by the way, is the is actually our main character. It's the first... They're the first and last character we see in this film. They're the whole... The only wholly sympathetic character. Interestingly enough, there is a biography of Elizabeth and Robert Browning that was written by Virginia Woolf from Flush the Dog's perspective. I would actually be way more into that. <laughs> I mean, I frankly love Virginia Woolf, and she's so good at writing, like, internal thoughts that lead you to understand what's going on in the world, that I bet Flush a biography is amazing. <laughs> the, the thing I was going to get to with the side characters, which is, I think, the last thing we need to talk about before we give up on this movie neither of us liked at all is the cousin who is the worst at just give it like getting and losing character traits as is necessary for her to be infuriating yeah cousin bella is really she is the most emblematic of the weird humor in this movie that makes the rest of the movie seem so much darker because she has a speech impediment where she pronounces R's as W's. And at one point, it's so bad that she's talking about going to Italy with her fiancé after they're married. And she says, we're going to take a house in Wome. And I was like, "Can oh god, really? Is this happening? Yep, this, we're, we're having a, a speech impediment as a joke. Yeah. It's... Y- <sighs> And she kisses Edward at one point. He's like, she's sitting on his lap because she says like, oh, he seems overbearing, but I really (laughs) like that kind of man. She says, now you may kiss me or something like that. And he like full on kisses her on the mouth. Yeah. And not in a like sweet way that, you know, uh, a relative could do that. It's like, it is creepy and it is intentionally creepy and that the scene that follows it is the whole like i want to sleep with my daughter scene yeah um yeah yeah but but cousin the cousin also like one repeatedly insists that elizabeth is about to die and is too frail to ever find love two Brings her fiancé by repeatedly to show him off, and he seems just confused by all of this. Three and justifiably. <laughs> three, out of nowhere, reveals that actually she is super duper into Robert Browning. And seems seemingly believes he is into her too. And none of this like seems to carry over from scene to scene really also the creepy stuff with the dad that the cousin does in that scene where like he's a full-on creep but also she is sitting on her uncle's lap and going now you may kiss me and doing a terrible read on like he seems overbearing but he's a very sweet man and none of you really get him like i do and it's very weird and creepy and awful yeah And then the other moment of, like, totally fucking bizarre humor is when Henrietta is meeting with the guy that she likes and it's snowing outside and they're standing next to, like, a post box or something. And she has the entire conversation where she's like, I'm so glad that you came out. 
But don't look at me. Don't say anything. Will you meet me again next week? Don't answer that. That woman over there is watching us. And I'm like, I realize that this is supposed to be funny because she's like not allowing him to answer questions that she's actually asking him. But also the reason is because she is so afraid of her father that she's paranoid that anything is going to get back to her dad that she's associating with a man in any way. And I'm like, this is... This is not funny, movie. This is horrible. This is horrifying. Yeah. And, like, I think that's the general, like... I mean, obviously you're supposed to find the courtship scenes between Elizabeth and Robert to be charming. But I also think you're supposed to find them a little bit, like, funny. And this movie thinks it's kind of very light, except for the super-duper dark scenes. And it's not at all. No, because all of the lightness of it is just uh isn't it funny that these poor children are being abused yeah no all the humor in this film is like the funny parts of who's afraid of virginia wolf where you're like oh god what i what happens when they turn it off please god don't oh god right it only serves to reinforce the horror it is not a relief from the horror (laughs) so don't watch this movie really really do not watch this movie it is incredibly distressing it's a real shame too because it seemed like such a good setup norma shear and frederick march have really good chemistry i'd say still despite how badly written robert browning is in this film but like i but Norma Shearer looks beautiful, Audacé's lounge looking all like, oh, I'm so, I'm so ill and so starry-eyed, which, I mean, Elizabeth Barrett did start frequently taking laudanum at the age of 14, so she probably would have been pretty starry-eyed. And the movie does solve at least one mystery, which is that Frederick March can kiss normally. Yeah. Oh, right. I meant to bring that up, but then I hated the whole rest of the film so much that I kind of forgot. I, so yeah, so it, it was a weird directing issue. That's good to know. In Smiling Through, it was definitely the director who was like, yeah, kiss her like you're trying to drill your nose into her cheekbone. Because in this, they just kiss and it's like totally normal. Kiss her like you're two mannequins and I'm just knocking your platforms into each other. <laughs> Uh, To Frederick March's credit, with some incredibly creepy and messed up lines, he does still manage to, I guess, at least make me want him to take her away from the situation that she's in, even if it seems like she is going from one abusive situation to an at least not incestual and constantly... Uh, threatening... Home life, yeah. That, like, okay, he's gonna be a little bit controlling and be like, no, you have to get out of bed, you have to do stuff, which, like, is kind of a problem for somebody who has a chronic disease, but, you know, he's probably not going to literally rape his daughter. But, and, and even more than that, I will say, there's only, like, three minutes of it in the script, But when the movie lets her have the upper hand in the relationship, like, at all, like, in that very first scene when she's kind of ribbing him about that one passage of his poem. Right, right. The relationship is utterly charming. And he's utterly charming and self-effacing about how his poetry kind of sucked. And, like, they seem to have a real connection there. And it's very, it's very sweet. 
but then it goes back to him dictating what the relationship will be from the vision in his mind. And it sucks. Yep. The dog is good, too. The dog is the dog is very good. Flush is, Flush is pretty great. And uh, he is literally in her arms at the altar. Which, like, there should be more of that. People just holding their dog when they get married. Also, do all Anglican churches just look exactly the same? Or is that literally the same church from Smiling Through? Because it looked like literally exactly the same church. I mean, if it's the same studio, I bet it was. Wait, what studio did this? This MGM. is an MGM. Yeah. And let's see, Smiling Through was... MGM. So yeah, it was probably exactly the same set. And and probably the two of them were on exactly the same yeah. contract. And this was like, okay, great. We're going to make another movie with you guys. And you got to do it because... <laughs> Because we said so. You know, they do have good chemistry. I will say that. Which is really kind of disappointing because they had such great chemistry in Smiling Through that I was looking forward to seeing that happen again. And they don't have that much screen time together, really. And most of it is him, like, with his hand on his hip, posing around the room while he declares how their relationship is going to be. And they don't get a whole lot of opportunities to have those really lovely moments together because it's just Frederick March chewing scenery. Which, to be fair, the scenery that he is chewing is quite nice. Like, the art direction in this movie is is done very well. Yeah. The costumes are beautiful. You know, it's not my favorite period in history for clothes, but they're, like, they're good costumes. Charles Lofton's whole, like, mutton chop hair stuff is appropriately frightening. Uh, you know, it's, the bones of this movie, as far as, like, the, the literal physical objects and stuff in it are quite good. The script is just utterly terrifying, and there's very little action, it's very talky, so it's just watching, it's just watching this poor woman and her siblings get abused for two hours, with a little bit of cousin bella having a speech impediment which is supposed to be comic relief and ends up just being like wow this is offensive and ableist and also not funny because she's like completely enabling this monstrous abusive father yeah it sucks it's bad it's bad don't watch this movie yeah what are we going to rate it, though? Oh, we just came off, like, our worst movie ever. Right, and so I feel like we're in, like, the three range. Somewhere in, like, three to four. Because this isn't... I'm not comfortable giving it a four. Yeah, I'm not really either. Um, yeah, I think three is probably fair. Like, Norma Shear is... It's... is good, but, like... Most of the screen time, this is, like, at best an uncomfortable watch, and mostly just an actively kind of bad watch. Oh, it's really horrifying. If you take Taming of the Shrew as a horror play, instead of as a cute sparring match between two people until one of them, like, becomes a good wife, then it makes sense. If this is a horror movie, it's a very effective horror movie. (laughs) 
but that was not its plan. No, and I think it kind of, in that way, crosses the line over into sort of torture porn. You just kind of sit there in it for too long. Oh, absolutely. I felt like I was watching the period psychological version of Saw. So yeah, I think like three for like Norma Shearer costumes, set design's pretty good too. People are really giving it giving it their all. Like Charles Lawton's really throwing himself into the role. It's just the script is no damn good. And the concept of it is just fundamentally badly thought out. I'm really curious as to why the writer of this felt like this is the story that should be told. And I, because I tried to do some digging and find like, was there any evidence or any reference to Edward being uh, this much of a monster. Like, he definitely seems like a cold and shitty Victorian dad, but I don't know that he seems like the kind of person who would threaten to rape his own daughter. It just seems like, you know, yeah, he was something of a normal, if you can call it that, patriarch. I mean, to me, I I forget where it is. I think it's on the Wikipedia page somewhere where they're like, they just mention Freud for like half a second. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Dude was kind of a prude. So of course, of course, the read is this. Right. Is that there's this suppressed stuff where he wanted to bang his daughter. And like I say, it seems like he was in real life. Not that, but still kind of a prick. And so I don't really good like i only care that the movie did that insofar as it's what makes the movie this just like long torture porn sequence of let's sit here in this uncomfortable room where this man abuses his power dynamic over all of his children over and over again yeah i'm gonna give it a two yeah I am going to go for it too, because I just don't, like, the prettiness of the sets and the costumes save it from a one, and Norma Shear and Frederick March doing their all with what they have. And and I actually think that Maureen O'Sullivan as Henrietta, even though Henrietta is not a well-drawn character, Maureen O'Sullivan is really, she's just a charming actress. She's a very good ingenue. She was great in The Thin Man is Dot. Yeah. But yeah, it is it is torture porn that thinks that it is a love story. <laughs> yeah, I I'm going to stick with a three, but I definitely get a two. I just we've watched so we've so recently watched two movies that are worse than this that I'm like, got to leave some room at the bottom now, I guess. Jesus. <laughs> I really thought that this year was going to be a really great year. It starts off so high. You're like, they can make movies now. They, we did it. We got there. Yeah. And like it happened one night is is great. It has its problems. The Thin Man is great and also has its problems. Cleopatra is not great, but is wildly entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> but all of the other movies in this year have been like, yeah, they they are capably made films where I can understand what people are saying and the film quality is better. But they've been, like, so badly problematic. And and it's surprising to me. It, it really has been a surprise because I was really looking forward to this year specifically. And it has turned out to be, I guess, just like a pendulum swing every week. Yeah, 
Yeah, the highs are high, but the lows are real low. Like, I know we've been avoiding a five, but I don't even know what we would give a five to this year. Yeah, I don't even feel like I've been actively avoiding the five. It's because there's nothing that that is like, there's no movie that's fine. They're either great with some problems, or they're like, all problems. (laughs) Yeah. So next week, uh, we have The Gay Divorcee, which is Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. And I has a pretty good poster. I don't know. I'm I'm like, I, I feel a little bit like I should be pretty psyched about this movie. But it's like I'm a rat and they've electrified the feeding tube um, for too long. Like, I just, I, I am, I'm afraid to go out on a limb and say this one's gonna be good. I'd also say that if anything of this year gets a five, it's this poster. Yeah. Because it's like, is it, is it bad or is it great? Um, yes. Yeah, it's literally where do you focus your eyes? It's way too busy. Yeah, it is way too busy. But it does look like someone with any kind of artistic or, or design sensibility did make it. But yeah, so it's a uh, it is a musical remake of the Divorcee, which you hated. Yeah, I well, and starred Norma Shear. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I did hate that movie. It just was so. It was so. It was so. But there's a lot of Cole Porter songs in it, and I love Cole Porter. So if nothing else. Apparently, there's only the one Cole Porter song. Oh, damn it. Well, the stage musical has a bunch of Cole Porter songs. Most of which were left out of the film, except for Night and Day. Well... Which, if you're gonna pick one... Yeah, I mean, Night and Day is fine, I guess. But if I were gonna pick, like... If I were gonna pick Cole Porter songs that I wanted to be in it... Uh, well, actually, I'm looking at the list, and and there's not, not any of my favorite Cole Porter songs in it anyway. Night and Day is definitely the best one of the stage musical numbers. But it's Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. So, like, there is hope at the end of this very dark tunnel that we have been dropped into over the last two weeks. You know, I really miss leopard girls jumping through flaming hoops right now. <laughs> you know what? You know what the Barretts of Wimple Street could have used? <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. And I can't even say, like, it could have used Claudette Colbert because there's not one but two very charming brunette actresses in it. Yeah. Nope. There's no, like, making this movie better by recasting because the cast is super powerful. They just have absolute garbage to work with. So, yeah, I'm giving it a two. I'm saying don't watch it. And I'm saying I'm sorry this week's episode is so short. But look forward to next week. Yeah, I am. I'm giving it a three because I'm naturally cynical and believe that the world doesn't love me, and therefore there will be much worse movies than this. <laughs> um, but I. But otherwise, I agree with Susan on everything else. Um, so see you next week when hopefully God takes pity on me. <laughs> And a Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire vehicle is not somehow inexplicably terrible. Huh. Well, until then, everyone. This was too long of a movie. You probably should have cut like 25, 30 minutes out of it. 
easily. I don't know. I feel like you could cut two hours. Yeah, ish. An hour. <laughs> I feel like an hour and 51 minutes of this movie maybe didn't need to exist. But this was a movie. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Can you guys like, subscribe, and review us on iTunes? Because it really helps promote the show and gets more people listening. And we, you know, we, we watch these movies every week. It'd be nice if more people listen. Thanks. Bye.